0: Hi listeners, it's Carter, here to tell you about an incredible event celebrating the launch of ParCast's first book, Cults. On July 13th, crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together for a night of true crime to remember, and you can be part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and so much more. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. It's a wonderful cause and an evening perfect for any true crime fan. But time is running out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of ParCast's new book, Colts. So don't wait. Sign up at parcast.com slash cults.
1: Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and anti-Semitism. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
2: In the late 1920s, fascist leader Adolf Hitler brought his Nazi party to power in Germany. One of the most insidious tenets of Nazism was the belief in the superiority of the so-called Aryan race.
1: Hitler defined it as tall, blonde, blue-eyed, Nordic peoples. He sought to conquer Europe and then expel anyone that didn't meet these narrow Aryan ideals.
2: But he also knew he couldn't create his Aryan utopia alone. To carry out his barbaric goals, he needed loyal believers who are as fanatical as he was. He sought out men who are willing to do anything for his Third Reich. In
1: 1929, he put an ambitious young Nazi named Heinrich Himmler in charge of the fledgling Schutzstaffel, or SS. Initially created to serve as Hitler's bodyguards, The SS were destined to be the most elite paramilitary unit in Germany.
2: At Himmler's side was Reinhard Heydrich. While he was initially reluctant to join the Nazi party, Heydrich became one of the most powerful officers in the SS. His brutal actions eventually earned him the nickname Hitler's Hangman.
1: Under Himmler and Heydrich, SS officer Otto Skorzeny rose to command a historic special forces operation. He was obsessed with seeking glory in battle. Under his command, the SS carried out covert missions that aimed to win World War II for the Axis powers.
2: Together, these three men fought to create the fascist Aryan world Hitler envisioned, and their cruelty led to the deaths of millions. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
2: This season on Dictators, we're taking a look at Hitler's henchmen... These officers helped the Nazi leader build his regime and spread terror across Europe.
1: This week, we're exploring the rise of Heinrich Himmler, the leader of the SS. This eccentric bureaucrat ingratiated himself with prominent nationalists and leveraged his power to eliminate a rival paramilitary group, the SA.
2: Next week, we'll look at how Himmler used his position to promote his racist and anti-Semitic ideology and in doing so, helped organize the deaths of over 6 million European Jews.
1: We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with
0: us. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime.
1: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little
2: or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million
0: orders stage.
1: No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
2: While there were several infamous officers in Adolf Hitler's inner circle, like Goering or Goebbels, Heinrich Himmler often wielded the most influence over Nazi policy.
1: Goering controlled the German military, but Himmler's elite SS units carried out the most dangerous special forces missions. And Himmler put Goebbels' fascist propaganda into action by creating the death camps of the Holocaust.
2: Yet for someone with so much power, Himmler's rise to the top seems almost inexplicable. He didn't look like Hitler's ideal Aryan, and he had almost no military experience.
1: However, Himmler distinguished himself behind the scenes as a Machiavellian opportunist and an unrepentant sycophant. He did whatever he could to rise to the top, no matter the cost.
2: He learned these skills almost from birth, as his family had plenty of experience ingratiating themselves with powerful people. Himmler's father, Gephardt, was the personal tutor to Prince Heinrich of Bavaria. When little Heinrich was born in 1900, Gephardt made sure to name him after his patron.
1: However, Gephardt wasn't so much a social climber as someone who wanted stability. Instead of collecting wealth or spending their evenings at court, the Himmlers were happy to maintain a middle-class existence.
2: Though the young Himmler was never left wanting, His childhood was anything but blissful. By most accounts, he was an above-average student, but lacked friends. He was often teased for his pale skin and stout stature.
1: Young Himmler was also constantly afflicted with indigestion, severe colds, and fevers. Such illnesses made it difficult for Himmler to engage in physical activity with his peers.
2: As a result, Himmler developed an inferiority complex. He was highly resentful and judgmental of those who refused to accept or include him.
1: In fact, much of his youth was spent on the sidelines, longing to participate with others. Above all, Himmler desperately wanted to fight in World War I. From
2: 1914 onward, Himmler's war diary entries reveal a teenager with a deep patriotic fervor. As a proud German, he vehemently hated the enemy Russian forces. He had little regard for any nation who didn't support Germany.
1: Furthermore, Himmler idolized German soldiers. They were brave, tough, and physically impressive. To him, they emulated the folk heroes from the patriotic German fables he read as a child.
2: He wanted to be a hero, too. His jingoistic passions only increased when his older brother left for the Western Front in 1915.
1: As the war dragged on, it seemed as if Himmler would get his wish. In 1917, he was old enough to be accepted as an officer candidate in the German army. Himmler knew it was only a matter of time before he would be adorned in an officer's uniform and achieve glory in battle.
2: But while Himmler was still in training, Germany signed an armistice. The war was over. He would no longer be able to prove himself in combat.
1: Himmler grew resentful of his missed opportunity, and his resentment was only exacerbated by the aftermath of the war, as Germany was punished for its aggression.
2: The 1919 Treaty of Versailles placed the blame for World War I almost entirely on Germany. As a result, the government was forced to provide financial restitution to countries it has invaded, which put Germany deeply in debt almost overnight.
1: The treaty also forced Germany to diminish the size of its military. The government discharged hundreds of thousands of soldiers and officers, including Heinrich Himmler.
2: With a future as a soldier gone, 19-year-old Himmler opted to return to school. The same year he was discharged, Himmler enrolled at a technical university in Munich and studied agriculture.
1: Although he was still socially awkward, Himmler seemed eager to experience the life of a student and finally be accepted by his peers. At the time, the best way to do that was to join campus clubs and
2: societies. Most of these organizations were simply a means for students to drink, dance, or play sports. But Himmler had very little interest in the bacchanalia. Instead, he joined the Apollo Club, a society for more intellectually-minded students. The Apollo Club often
1: engaged in spirited conversations on a variety of subjects. However, the most frequently discussed topic was the future of Germany. During these debates, Himmler's anti-Semitism suddenly emerged.
2: There's no indication that Himmler exhibited signs of fervent anti-Semitism as a youth. Rather, it appears that once he went to college, he read books that promoted anti-Jewish stereotypes and adopted these views as his own.
1: And like most anti-Semites at this time, he blamed the Jews for Germany's defeat in World War I, as well as the nation's inability to recover economically.
2: This anti-Semitic turn led him toward far-right politics. His arguments during Apollo Club debates became increasingly militant, especially about the sanctity of so-called traditional German values.
1: Above all, he was concerned with the role of women in society. He resented the fact that they no longer seemed focused on traditional roles and would rather spend time going out and having fun. In fact, Himmler's rhetoric and obsession over women would fit the modern definition of an incel.
2: Although there was an increase in far-right rhetoric throughout post-war Germany, many of Himmler's peers didn't subscribe to his beliefs. To defend against their derision, he tried to project the image of a misunderstood intellectual.
1: But he fell short. While Himmler was intellectually curious, He wasn't a critical reader and often fell for reductive conspiracy theories. As a result, few college peers took him seriously.
2: The rejection wasn't lost on Himmler. Even in Himmler's diary entries, he acknowledges that his classmates disliked him.
1: Yet, he refused to change. Instead, Himmler embraced their rejection. It gave him an excuse to grow angrier at the liberal side of German society.
2: By 1922, Himmler was a committed far-right nationalist. He devoured pamphlets and periodicals that espoused anti-Semitism and the alleged superiority of the German and Nordic races.
1: However, his reading only provided so much support. Himmler wanted to act on his beliefs. And while his classmates disagreed with his radical views, Himmler soon discovered that there were plenty of Germans who believed as he did.
2: After the war, the German monarchy ceased to exist. For the first time, this opened up an opportunity for democracy. Unfortunately, extremists on both sides sought to take power, resulting in an unstable government.
1: With the economy spiraling, inflation out of control and unemployment rising, many Germans turned to the far right. To them, Germany was in the midst of an existential war and the only way to win was to defeat their perceived enemies, the Communists and the Jews.
2: Himmler wanted to be a part of this movement, so he surrounded himself with people who thought exactly as he did. He frequently attended nationalist meetings throughout Munich.
1: It was at one such gathering where he met 35-year-old Ernst Röhm. Röhm was an outspoken army captain with a magnetic personality. More importantly, he was one of the leading voices in the growing far-right movement.
2: It didn't take long for Himmler to idolize Röhm. The army veteran personified all the qualities and characteristics that Himmler held most sacred. So in August 1922, 21-year-old Himmler joined one of Röhm's conservative groups, the Reichskriegslager. The
1: organization was one of several ultra-nationalist groups that existed at the time. Although they each had different names, their goal was ultimately the same, to seize power in Germany.
2: Eventually, it became obvious to the individual leaders that the best way forward was to consolidate their groups. As these far-right groups united, Himmler met another prominent nationalist, Adolf Hitler. Their meeting was the first step towards Himmler's future as a leader and the destruction of Europe.
1: Coming up, Himmler finds acceptance among the newly formed Nazi party.
0: Hi, listeners. It's Carter with some truly exciting news. To commemorate the launch of Colts, Parcast's first book, Crime Junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together on July 13th for an in-person and virtual experience you do not want to miss. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature a live Q&A about the book, an exclusive meet and greet, and a discussion on all things true crime. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. It's an amazing organization near and dear to both Ashley and Max and another great reason to enjoy this wonderful night. And it's just days away, so visit parkast.com slash cults to register today. You can also catch the event virtually on Spotify Live if you are unable to join us in person. All attendees will get a signed copy of the book and a night they'll never forget. July 13th is fast approaching, so be sure to join Ashley Flowers and Max Cutler for a very special evening celebrating the release of ParCast's new book, Cults, all for an incredible cause. Register today at ParCast.com slash cults. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime.
2: After a brief stint in the German army at the end of World War I, Heinrich Himmler went to university in Munich. During his studies, he came to embrace anti-Semitism and far-right politics. When he graduated in 1922, he joined Ernst Röhm's ultra-nationalist Reichskriegsflage. Despite joining
1: Röhm's group, Himmler wasn't fully committed to activism yet. Rather, he split his time working as a lab assistant at a factory outside of Munich.
2: Still, Himmler couldn't deny that conservative activism brought him something he always wanted. For years, he had struggled to connect or participate with others. But in joining Ruhm, Himmler finally found the camaraderie he desperately craved.
1: However, while Himmler made inroads with the Reichskriegsflagge, He encountered another, more, right-wing group, the National Socialists, or Nazis.
2: Himmler was enthralled by the Nazis' charismatic leader, Adolf Hitler, though he was still loyal to Ernst Röhm. Though Hitler and Röhm led different fascist organizations, they shared a mutual admiration for one another. They soon realized it would be in their best interests to form an alliance. Hitler in particular knew that Rome's military connections could be useful for the future.
1: Even more importantly, Rome was in control of a second powerful group, the Sturmabteilung or SA. Commonly referred to as the brownshirts, the SA was a loosely organized militia of violent thugs. They were mostly known for brawling in the streets with their political enemies.
2: With Hitler and Röhm talking about joining forces, Himmler decided to bridge the gap himself. So in August 1923, he became a member of the Nazi party.
1: A month later, on September 30th, 1923, Hitler, Ruhm, and the leaders of other right-wing organizations formally merged into a coalition called the Kampfbund, Essentially, this was done to streamline the movement and expedite their agenda.
2: That agenda, of course, was to take control of Germany. And they even had a model to follow. Two years before, in 1921, Italian fascist Benito Mussolini and his blackshirts marched on Rome and seized power in a bloodless coup. Hitler and Rome were inspired to initiate their own revolution.
1: On November 8, 1923, thousands of armed Nazis descended on one of Munich's largest beer halls. Hitler hoped that the fragile government and the growing tide of populism would inspire the people to join his ranks. In a passionate speech, he laid out his plan to take over the state of Bavaria, and then the rest of the nation.
2: But the beer hall patrons were unimpressed, and Hitler didn't add to his numbers. The following day, when the Nazis marched on the Bavarian Defense Ministry, they were driven back after a gun battle with state police.
1: Though Himmler was present during the gunfight, there's little indication that he actually fought. His only job during the failed insurrection was as a flag bearer.
2: Unlike Mussolini's March on Rome, the Beer Hall Putsch was a disaster. While Himmler escaped the police, Hitler and Ruhm were both arrested for organizing the putsch, though only Hitler went to prison.
1: Meanwhile, the government banned the Nazi party. Now, anyone who had been a party member was essentially blacklisted from society. Himmler felt the effects of the ban immediately. He was fired from his lab assistant job and forced to move back home with his parents.
2: Still, Himmler viewed the Putsch less as a failure and more as a turning point in his life. He believed that Rome and Hitler had been railroaded by the authorities, and he vowed to overthrow the government at all costs.
1: For Himmler, political activism was no longer a part-time hobby, it was his life's purpose.
2: Though the government outlawed the Nazi Party, many politicians still feared the fascists, and some even harbored sympathetic beliefs. This became even more true just a year later when far right political parties gained seats in Germany's parliament during the 1924 elections.
1: Instead of angering the fascists, the changing government increasingly catered to them. That same year, authorities released Hitler from prison early and reversed the ban on the Nazi party.
2: Undeterred by the lost year, Hitler began rebuilding the party, and Heinrich Himmler devoted himself to the effort.
1: However, this meant separating himself from Rome. By the time Hitler left prison, he and Rome had a minor falling out. Though the two remained friends, Rome opted to focus his time leading the paramilitary SA instead of bolstering a legitimate political party.
2: Meanwhile, Himmler sought a new mentor to help him rise in the Nazi ranks. So he latched on to Gregor Strasse.
1: Gregor Strasse was one of the highest ranking Nazis under Hitler. During Hitler's imprisonment, Strasse kept the party's political wing united across various locales. After Hitler's release, Strasse continued to be instrumental in the Nazis' grassroots organization efforts.
2: Strasse hired Himmler to be his secretary, which was something of an all-purpose assistant job. One of Himmler's duties was to ride around the country and inspect the Nazis' hidden weapon caches.
1: By now, Himmler considered himself a Nazi soldier, and these menial inspections were part of the job. He still sought military glory, and his dedication to the cause was palpable. So much so that Strasse promoted Himmler to party organizer.
2: In this role, Himmler traveled around Germany and met with every fascist organization he could. It was his job to convince them all to unify under a single Nazi banner.
1: To bolster his effectiveness, Himmler blitzed the various towns he visited with Nazi propaganda. He plastered posters on every city wall and had speakers and canvassers spread positive news about the Nazi party.
2: Once again, Himmler's dedication and organizational skills were rewarded. In September 1927, he was made second in command of a small paramilitary wing of the SA called the Schutzstaffel, or SS.
1: The SS was created in November 1925 to act as Hitler's personal bodyguards during major events and rallies. Unfortunately for the budding political party, despite the inherent prestige the job provided, membership was consistently low. By 1927, there were only 168 members.
2: But Himmler was determined to turn this subpar team into an elite unit. Though he was technically just a middle manager, Himmler saw his new role as that of a drill sergeant. From uniform inspections to participating in drills, he made sure that every SS member looked and acted like a real soldier.
1: Hitler immediately noticed Himmler's new reforms and how quickly he was able to whip the SS into shape. Like Strasse, Hitler saw how useful Himmler was to the Nazi mission. For his undying loyalty and devotion, Hitler soon referred to Himmler as, quote, faithful Heinrich.
2: But despite Himmler's fervent dedication to the SS, it was still considered a tiny, obscure group within the larger Nazi movement. The unit continued to have little use beyond protecting Hitler at political events. While Himmler nearly doubled the size of the SS, there were still fewer than 300 members in 1928.
1: As it turned out, Hitler wanted to transform the SS into more than just his protectors. He wanted the SS to become the Nazi version of a special forces unit.
2: And even though Himmler had zero combat experience, Hitler was confident that his organizing skills would translate into effective leadership. After all, he expanded party membership and tightened discipline within the SS.
1: So, on January 20th, 1929, Hitler promoted 28-year-old Himmler to Reichsfuhrer, the top commander of the
2: SS. The promotion was everything Himmler could have hoped for. Beyond his control over the SS, his command would be admired by everyone who'd questioned his toughness and qualifications— Not only that, his advancement also meant he could use the SS to further his insidious racial conspiracy theories.
1: Though it had been seven years since Himmler first adopted his racist and anti-Semitic beliefs, he'd never once put them aside. In fact, as he climbed the ranks of the party, those beliefs only grew stronger and more commonplace.
2: The theory of German genetic and racial superiority had been argued by fringe thinkers and authors for years. However, as National Socialism expanded across Germany and Western Europe, those fringe beliefs turned mainstream.
1: The most popular theories noted that Germans were, by and large, descended from Scandinavians and Vikings. The authors lauded the ancient Vikings for their advancements in culture, religion, and their skills on the battlefield. Their physical features, notably blonde hair and blue eyes, were considered ideal.
2: But another group that played a major role in the conspiracy theories was the Teutonic Order. A medieval brotherhood of knights founded by German peasants, the Teutonic Order accompanied Christian soldiers during the Crusades.
1: Himmler used this sort of propaganda to indoctrinate SS members. He taught recruits that they were genetically advantaged and entitled. Himmler claimed that since Germans came from a long line of superior warriors, the SS was going to keep their tradition alive.
2: Himmler also subscribed to the theory that the so-called Aryan race had come under assault. He believed that Eastern European cultures would overtake and replace Germans. To him, the only way to prevent that was to breed new Aryans. Thus, Himmler made
1: it his personal mission to use the SS for the propagation and advancement of the Aryan race. And with the SS under his unilateral control, he enacted ridiculous breeding policies.
2: First, he appointed eugenicists and pseudoscientists to prominent roles and worked with them to establish criteria for who could enlist in the SS. This promoted tall, blonde, blue-eyed men who could prove their Aryan heritage.
1: Himmler also wanted to add a level of sophistication to the SS to separate them from the garish thugs of the S.A. brownshirts. So he condensed the Nazi ideology into a set of moral, physical, and military tenets.
2: These were designed to appeal to the more educated sector of German society. Himmler hoped to add more prestige to the SS and entice more Aryan members.
1: But these new policies weren't intended only for SS men since breeding required women. While he already had a very low opinion of women, Himmler sought to control the private lives of his men and their mates. In
2: 1931, Himmler enacted the marriage law of the SS. Under this rule, every SS man who wanted to marry needed the relationship approved by Himmler or another high-ranking officer.
1: For the Union to move forward, the couple had to provide genealogical records that demonstrated pure Aryan blood. To ensure that so-called purity, those records had to go as far back as 1750, nearly two centuries.
2: The irony behind these strict rules was the fact that Himmler's wife, Margareta, didn't meet the criteria. She was of Slavic descent. More than anything, this showed that Himmler and other Nazi leaders often bent the rules to fit their own desires.
1: But Himmler didn't stop at the marriage law. If an SS man couldn't find a wife, Himmler would do it for them. He established several bride schools, which taught women the basics of child-rearing and home-keeping to ensure their Nazi husbands were happy.
2: While Himmler worked toward a Nazi future, most Germans refused to take the Nazis seriously, or at least did their best to ignore them. Many believed that if no one paid too much attention, the fascists would eventually go away.
1: Unfortunately, as the 1920s gave way to the 1930s, more Germans embraced Nazi ideology due to the nation's continued economic troubles. Hitler's rousing speeches provided scapegoats for them to
2: blame. Soon, the Nazi party catapulted from the fringe to the mainstream. As Hitler's prominence increased, the stage was set for Himmler to become one of the most influential men in Germany.
1: Coming up, the Nazis seize control, and Himmler makes the SS. Now back to the story. In
2: 1929, 28-year-old Heinrich Himmler became head of the SS, a small paramilitary unit within the SA. Despite its size, Himmler knew he could transform it into the Nazis' most elite corps. He also used the SS as a means to fulfill the Nazi desire for Aryan superiority in Germany.
1: Hitler put his faith in Himmler's ability to turn the SS around. And by 1932, Himmler proved that the Nazi leader had chosen the right man.
2: When Himmler inherited the SS in 1929, it numbered less than 300 men. Three years later, that number had grown to almost 30,000 The rise in SS membership also coincided with increasing popularity of the Nazi party.
1: As Germany's weak economy continued to decline, many citizens grew disillusioned with the liberal government. Others feared a possible rise in communism.
2: To them, the Nazi party provided a viable, unified alternative to both. Yet despite the Nazis appearing like a unified party, There was plenty of internal strife.
1: Behind the scenes, there were tremendous amounts of infighting among senior members. The timing of these power struggles was terrible, especially as the Nazis made major gains in Parliament. The
2: 1932 elections resulted in the Nazis receiving 37.3% of the vote. Though they were the strongest party in Parliament, they didn't have a majority. As such, some Nazi officials believed they should form a coalition, including Himmler's former boss, Gregor Strasse.
1: Since Himmler's time working for him, Strasse had become one of the leading Nazis in government. He believed that the only way for the Nazis to exert power was if they joined forces with other conservative parties. But Hitler vehemently refused. In response, Strasse resigned.
2: Most Nazis, including Himmler, supported Hitler's decision. However, some believed that Strasse's resignation might split the party and condemn any chance at ruling Germany.
1: Strasse's resignation even made some Nazis question their faith in Hitler as their leader. If he was unable to control men like Strasse, where
2: did that leave the future of the party? Instead of letting the party splinter, Hitler took action. Throughout January 1933, he and Himmler negotiated with political leaders and influential industrialists to put Hitler in power alone.
1: They finally acquiesced, and on January 30, 1933, Adolf Hitler was appointed chancellor.
2: After years of chaos and infighting, the Nazis were on top in the German government. There was no way Hitler was going to let that power slip away. So he turned to Himmler and the SS.
1: In the months that followed, the SS went after the Nazis' political enemies. In particular, Himmler set his sights on the two parties who could most legitimately threaten Nazi power, the communists and the
2: social democrats. Himmler's SS officers rounded up and arrested these dissidents and he suggested using concentration camps to house thousands of new political prisoners.
1: One of the first and most infamous camps was Dachau, which opened its gates around April, 1933. These camps were wholly controlled by the SS.
2: Himmler's men personally guarded the barbed wire fences and quickly earned a reputation for brutal mistreatment of the prisoners.
1: Torture was common and Himmler fully supported its implementation. To him, it was a practical method to elicit confessions or scare political enemies into abandoning their activism altogether.
2: Himmler displayed no empathy for his fellow man or women and children if they were perceived as a threat to Hitler's rule. This cruelty pleased Hitler and ensured Himmler's position as head of the SS.
1: As the Nazis continued to consolidate their power over Germany, 33-year-old Himmler moved to take over the German police system. Himmler and his protege, a former naval commander named Reinhard Heydrich, commandeered Germany's individual state police forces. They united them under the SS to form the Gestapo.
2: Between Himmler and Heydrich, the SS quickly functioned as the Nazis' eyes and ears across Germany. They instilled fear throughout the entire nation.
1: By the beginning of 1934, the SS numbered around 200,000 men, a massive growth from when Himmler took over the unit five years earlier.
2: The success wasn't lost upon Himmler. In fact, as the SS grew, so did his ego. He claimed to be the modern incarnation of the leader of the Teutonic
0: Order.
1: Himmler believed that his objective was similar to that of the Teutonic Knights a thousand years before. Although instead of conquering the Holy Land for Christendom, the Nazis' crusade was to conquer the world.
2: However, there was someone standing in the Nazis' way. It wasn't a communist, or a social democrat, or even a rival nation. It was a powerful member within the party. Ernst Röhm, the man whom Himmler had first aligned with back in 1922.
1: During the Nazis' early years, Röhm's SA had proven useful fighting against the communists in the streets. But now, such violence and intimidation undermined the public's perception of the Nazis as a serious political organization.
2: In the wake of seizing power, Hitler grew to distrust Ruhm and his brown shirts. Like many Nazis, Hitler saw them as a dangerous and unorganized band of thugs.
1: And since Himmler had completely devoted himself to Hitler, he was more than willing to cast aside his former mentor. More importantly, Himmler's dreams of expanding the SS's reach meant removing the SA. And if that required eliminating Ernst Röhm, then so
2: be it. But despite all of his fears and distrust, Hitler was unable to simply get rid of Röhm. Deep down, Hitler still had a sense of loyalty toward the man. After all, they made their name together in the Beer Hall Putsch a decade earlier.
1: Himmler realized that ousting Röhm would require giving Hitler more motivation. So Himmler approached Hermann Göring, the president of parliament and governor of Prussia.
2: Göring was no fan of Rum or the SA. He believed that they threatened his control over Prussia as well as the stability of the Nazi Party. Göring also despised Röhm's intentions to use the SA to create a new army one which uprooted military traditions.
1: With all that in mind, Himmler and Goering joined forces, and at the end of spring 1934, they conspired to finally take down Ernst Röhm.
2: Himmler, Goering, and Himmler's deputy, Heydrich, made a list of prominent SA officers. Then they compiled evidence against each one to convince Hitler that Röhm wanted to overthrow him.
1: None of the evidence was true. rum in fact, was not making any plans for a sudden coup. But Hitler believed Himmler and Goering, and at the end of June, he decided to strike. On June
2: 30th, 1934, Hitler traveled to a hotel where rum and other SA leaders were vacationing. With SS commandos by his side, Hitler arrested rum and his men and denounced them as traitors.
1: Simultaneously, SS and Gestapo agents poured through Munich and Berlin and searched for SA officers. Some were arrested and thrown into prison, but many were murdered on the spot.
2: But this sudden bloody purge wasn't solely about ending the SA. Hitler also went after political enemies to settle old scores. Among the executed was Gregor Strasse, Himmler's old boss who resigned from parliament after Hitler refused to form a coalition.
1: As the violence settled down, there was still the matter of what to do with Rome, who was now in prison. But Hitler couldn't come to a decision. Even after all this, he still had a soft spot for
2: him. Himmler and Goering refused to let Rome weasel his way out of the purge. They convinced Hitler that Röhm needed to die.
1: Reluctantly, Hitler ordered that Röhm take his own life, but Röhm refused. So, Himmler ordered two of his SS officers to shoot Röhm in his cell.
2: The purge of the SA became known as the Night of the Long Knives. When all was said and done, Between 80 and 200 men were executed.
1: The Night of the Long Knives had two drastic outcomes. First, it completely consolidated Hitler's power over the Nazi party. Moving forward, no one dared challenge his supremacy.
2: Second, the purge made the SS the single elite paramilitary force for the party. As a reward for Himmler's loyalty, Hitler announced that the SS would become an independent organization, no longer a branch of the SA.
1: Heinrich Himmler was now one of the most powerful men in Nazi Germany. Unlike Ernst Röhm, he focused his power on the greater Nazi mission to manifest Hitler's vision of an exclusively Aryan Europe.
2: And to that end, Himmler would use his position to orchestrate one of the worst genocides in human history. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore Himmler's role in the Holocaust and the downfall of the Nazi leadership as their plans begin to collapse.
1: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
2: We'll see you next time.
1: Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Dictators was written by Tony Goodman, edited by Joe Guerra and Andrew Messer, fact-checked by Adriana Romero, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Kotovich. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rosner.
0: Hi, it's Carter, here to remind you that a very special evening with crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler is just days away. It's an event celebrating the release of ParCast's first book, Cults, and you can be a part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles on July 13th and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and more. Plus, all ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. This has all the makings of being the true crime event of the year, so don't miss out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of ParCast's new book, *Colts*. That's parcast.com slash cults to sign up today.